Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki, and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey, welcome. Hey, before we get started, I just want to say if you are enjoying this podcast, please, 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 I'd be eternally grateful if you would leave a review. They help me out a lot with like, you know, your positioning on iTunes and all that nonsense. And I also want to say, uh, don't forget to grab my new book. Oh, crap, I have a toddler. I am doing a lot of live streams on Facebook and Instagram. And I invariably get a question that is really broad, like I have a three-year-old who just won't listen, who's terribly naughty. Can you help? Yes, I can. But that's a huge, huge question. It's just like in potty training, I'll get these questions on Facebook or Instagram, you know, my three-year-old's not interested. Can you help? Yes, I can. I wrote a book. (laughs) And it's not just about like selling my book. It's about the fact that I have a wealth of information and it's book length and I can't really address these big, big gaping questions with just a few pat answers when I have all the information in the book. Yeah. And so I think it's really when we want to work with our children in this inside out way and not just, hey, give them a consequence. Hey, put them in time out. Hey, you know, these sort of pat answers. We really want to work with the whole brain, whole child, whole body. And that's working inside out. And that is all that information's in my book. Yeah. So go get it. <laughs> Today, I want to talk about talking about the hard stuff. So as a parenting coach, and especially as a potty trainer, I am often asked how to talk about the hard stuff. And this usually means a few things. It definitely includes talking about body parts, reproductive organs and cycles, and what I'll call consent, but really how to talk to our very little ones about good touch and bad touch, which of course veers into stranger danger, creepy people, and how to tell good people from bad people. Talking about the hard stuff also usually means talking about death and how to talk about death when our kids are so little. This is going to be a chunky episode, so let's jump right in. So a couple of weeks ago, I spent a week and a half being a goat doula. Our best friends raise goats and the kids are all in 4-H. I'm telling you right now, you've never met a bunch of better kids than 4-H kids. And I swear it has to do with caring for animals and dealing hands-on with the cycle of life. So for me, the really interesting part was watching, you know, we were in a, we were goat doulas. So we were literally watching the goats go into labor, seeing if they needed help, tracking and observing. And I think one of the most exciting parts was having a bunch of teenagers, both male and female teenagers, sitting around talking to each other about the goat's vulva, her dilation, her cervix, all without any weirdness, all without any giggling or tittering. I have a 13-year-old boy who knows more about reproductive organs than most grown men. And I have to say, I think that kind of rocks. So this episode is all about these kinds of things. I know this can be contentious. I know some people feel very strongly that children shouldn't know anything about sex or body parts. I feel differently, and I'm going to plead my case throughout. I think one of the biggest reasons about talking about sex and body parts is to create a culture in our homes that doesn't involve secrecy or weirdness or shame. And if we do discuss body parts and sex with shame and weirdness, our children will adopt that attitude. We live in a culture where we are trying desperately to keep our children safe. 
and part of keeping our children safe from creepy ass, sick, oh, weird people is creating a culture not bathed in secrecy and shame, right? When we bust all this stuff wide open, our children are more likely to communicate with us. Our children are more likely to be able to advocate for themselves with power. So first off, body parts. I am a huge proponent of using the real names for all body parts. Don't make this more loaded than it is. Everything has a name. If you give that name secret superpowers, your child will experience it as something weird or very hush-hush. Penises and vaginas exist on all of us. There is no reason it needs to be weird, okay? I am a huge proponent for the real names. If you are weird about naming body parts, it is like using the word fuck. Does your child know that fuck is a bad word? If you were to say it in everyday conversation, no, they wouldn't, right? Fuck is a word. It's no different than cup, plate, dishes, table, whatever, right? If What happens though is our kids learn it in a context of power, right? She knows the power with which you've said the word. Chances are if your child's heard the word fuck, she's going to repeat it in a similar circumstance in which she heard it, right? Probably anger or frustration. So if again, if we were to just use this word every single day, it wouldn't be a big thing. The first time your kid says fire fuck and we all crack up, they realize that they've said something hilarious. They're not going to say fire truck for a really long time because fire fuck is funnier, right? (laughs) They understand the power of words. If you can't say the word labia or testicles without blushing or giggling or making it weird, you're going to translate that attitude directly to your child. You're making it more than it is. As a side note, I am a 50-year-old woman in the dating pool, and I can attest to the amount of men out there, and sure, I'm dealing with an older generation, but still, they can only refer to my sexual organs as down there. I am straight up trying to raise a man who knows both his own and female genitalia, as he knows all his other body parts, just body parts. I'm also raising a young man who can go into the tampon aisle and shamelessly pick out the right ones. Yes. And again, I know my personal experience is I'm dealing with older men. So if you're a younger man who already does this, amen and hallelujah, I am sending you a joyful hug. (laughs) Body parts. I've done this myself. I've worked with clients and I've worked in my own community. I think the best thing to do is to give the real technical medical name, right? testicles, but then also give the slang and what your child might hear. So these are your testicles. A lot of people call them nuts. A lot of people call them balls. They're called testicles. Here's what we call them in our family. I think it's okay to have a family name for something as long as your child knows the the real name. Yeah. And so part of this is because out in public, if your child uses the word testicles, they are going to get a reaction which is then going to make them want to say the word even more. Yeah. So I think it's okay to say, you know, in public, this is your wee wee or whatever you'd say, as long as your child knows the real name. Yeah. And so that is um, something you can work out within your own family. And I'll remember, oh my God, Pascal came home. He had to have been what, six because he was in kindergarten or first grade. He came home so joyful. He had just learned that you can also call this your package or your junk. And he was so thrilled. He'd like walk around cupping his penis and testicles and like, this is my package. I need to fix my package. He was just hilarious about it. 
So I do think it's important to give the slang names because your child is going to most often hear that out, out in the dugout, out in, you know, sports teams. They're going to hear it from somebody. So you might as well, they might as well hear it from you first, right? Body functions, as far as, you know, regular bodily functions, I think you guys know I use pee and poop. I know some people get really, really uptight about using urine and BM. And again, that's fine. You can use those words. Again, if your child uses BM out in public, is it going to create a reaction? I think pee and poop are the most universal and don't create a reaction. Anytime your child is going to say a word that creates a reaction from other people, they're going to latch on very quickly to the power of the word. Bodily functions as in periods. So I see this a lot out in the world. I see this on Facebook. I see this on other parenting pages. I see it on my page. What do you tell your child about your lady parts? Well, first of all, I don't call them lady parts. (laughs) And I am just super honest in a conversational tone. And I think the conversational tone is partly the most important thing, okay? Listen, we have vaginas and we bleed. We bleed for a good portion of our lives. If you have daughters, your daughters are also going to bleed. If you have sons, they are going to come in contact at some point with a female who bleeds. There is no reason to make this a crazy, weird, hidden thing. We want men to not be grossed out and be weird about our periods. Then we have to teach our young boys how to not be grossed out and weird about our periods. We all use pads, which are kind of like diapers to catch the blood, or we use tampons, which is tightly packed cotton to soak up the blood. You can say something as basic as, all moms bleed. No, I'm not hurt. This is natural for women. You can leave it at that. So I think one of the bigger conversations that happens around eking out sexual information for our children is how much information is too much information. Give the basics. Give the basic information. I bleed. This is called your period. All It happens to most women. It's all good. And your child will be good with it. You don't have to launch into the whole reproductive cycle. In fact, I did that with Pascal when he was like three. And then <laughs> all he heard was eggs. And he walked away thinking women hatched babies. And so I was like, dude, no, no, no. We'll we'll revisit this in a little while. And mind you, he was a cool kid. I was a doula for a while. And he he could, you know, if a pregnant woman said, oh, the baby's in my tummy. He was like three years old saying, no, the baby's in your uterus. It's not in your tummy. You know, he had some information, but he still got confused with eggs. So it's okay to give some information back up if it seems too much or too confusing. We don't have to launch into everything, right? And that's what usually happens when we hear the dreaded question, where do babies come from? So many parents think they have to give the talk in that moment. Not if your kid's four or five, they're just really interested. And, you know, sometimes when they're really little, you can say, you know, I have always liked a garden metaphor because I think it's truthful without giving too much information. It's like, oh, there's a seed and the baby grows. And a lot of times that's good enough to get around it when your child's like two or three. But after that, they're, they start getting actually curious and it's okay to say, you know, the baby grows in the mama's uterus. Then the baby has to come out and they come out maybe through the vagina or sometimes baby gets a little stuck and the doctor has to sort of make a cut on the mama and pull the baby out that way. You can use that basic terms and that's usually very satisfying for the child. What I have learned is that most kids will ask you to stop 
or they will shut down themselves if you are starting to give too much information. So I don't think that's something you have to fear. I think it's watching your child as you have these conversations and you will know, you'll be like, okay, I need to back up now or I need to stop. I'm giving a little too much information. Where do babies come from? There are a gajillion books on this topic. I suggest you start looking for one, even when your child's two or three. Look for one at the bookstore that you like, that has pictures, that has labeling, that really resonates with you. Don't be afraid to use them. Tell them in the most basic forms, just like if you lived on a farm. If you go to the zoo, you will most often see the monkeys going at it. If you have dogs, you're going to have to deal with, if you have a male dog, you're going to have to deal with the lipstick, right? You're going to, there's mating throughout all of natural life. And so don't make it so crazy. It happens, right? And so the mechanics aren't, are often not the really big deal. Really funny story. When Pascal was about five, we, we really launched into this because it all started at the YMCA. And as a side note, I was using OB tampons, which have a, a turquoise string, and I happened to have a turquoise bathing suit. And I was getting out of the pool at the YMCA where it is cavernous, where voices echo upon echo upon echo. And I'm getting out of the pool, you know, like not using the ladder. So one leg's kind of hopped up on the side. And Pascal like screams out from across the pool. <laughs> Mom, your tampon string matches your bathing suit. Totally not busting my chops. Totally in a like, wow, you super match today, mom. Good accessorizing. Of course, I'm mortified, even though I do talk about this stuff in a very conversational tone. It's like, oh man, did you have to say that like so loud? So we're getting changed in the changing room and I'm like, hey, bud, like we don't really yell things about tampons across the, the pool. And he's just... Super like, why? And then he says to me, you know, I forget. I know you told me what a tampon's for, but what is, what does it do again? Why do you bleed? And so I said, okay, well, let's go home and have this conversation. So I got the book out that I loved. And um, honestly, I don't remember when I'm done recording this, I'm going to go get the book. And so I can tell you guys in the show notes what book it is. It just had a, you know, right on the same page, it had a picture of the female and the male and everything was labeled. And we just went through all the proper names for everything and how everything worked. So funny. He's like, he said, wow, well, the labia just wraps up the vagina like a nice little present, which I thought was the funniest thing. I was like, dude, you keep waxing poetic like that and you will never have troubles dating. But then he got really into like how the sperm gets into the vagina. And he was like, oh, at the time he was really into model trains and model trains actually couple to get together. So he was using the word couple. He was using the word connect. And that that's he caught his own language. He was like, oh, connects. I don't want to connect. He looks at me just totally grossed out. He's like, mama, I don't want to connect. And I was like, no, you shouldn't want to connect. You know, you're you're six. You shouldn't want to connect. I said, but we want to keep talking about this because there's going to come a time when you do want to connect and you want to, you may want to connect and it's not time to connect. And so we introduced this language very early on and it was awesome. And then the next day he comes up to me and his little hands on his hips and he's like, mama, I was thinking about that sperm getting into the vagina. I said, okay. And he said, you know, that's just, that's really good aim. And I was like, oh, little man, how did this go in wrong? Because he had even been talking about connection. And now all of a sudden he sees this like fire hose situation with the female doing cartwheels. So we had to sort of revisit it. And in his terms, we spent a good, I don't know, good week just kind of getting through this information and getting clear. 
And it was awesome, you guys. And he really, it was just about the mechanics. And at this age, curiosity. He was just so curious. There was no weirdness about it. There was no giggling. Again, if you raise livestock, you're going to see animals mating. If you go to the zoo, you're going to see animals mating. The mechanics are not the big deal. Here's why you want to hit this slowly over time, eking out the information a little bit at a time. You can't save it up, okay? He is 13 years old right now. He's actually having these feelings. He's hitting puberty. He is embarrassed about this stuff now. He doesn't want to hear about this from his mom. He doesn't want to hear about this, period. He's experiencing it. We want to hit this when they're young enough, when they're curious, and we can just get through the mechanics. Because now at his age, he wants to talk about the emotional things. Not only is he embarrassed about the mechanics, right? Because his penis is doing all kinds of things now that is new, and he doesn't want me to to, to notice this stuff, right? But he also really wants to come to me with the emotional stuff. Mom, I kind of have a crush on this girl. I'm not sure what to do. All the emotional stuff, we're all hitting sex ed in the wrong way. The kids, as they get older, need help with the emotional landscape, not the mechanics, yeah? But there's also this huge thing that I mentioned earlier in this episode. We wanna create a culture of normalizing all of this stuff so that we don't have a culture of secrecy and shame. If you can't talk to your mom about your genitalia, about these feelings, what happens when some creepy ass sicko comes along? How do our kids advocate? How do they understand that we don't have a culture of shame and secrecy around this? And so I think that's the bigger issue. I'm not really sure how I don't know, maybe in yesteryear, we just didn't really talk about this stuff, but I know so many parents want to, you know, save this up. I'm going to give them the talk. Like you're going to sit down with your kid at 13 and dump all this information. Shit, that's a lot of information. It's going to be overload. It's going to be overwhelming, right? So you really, really, really want to let this stuff out slowly, titrate it, eke it out, right? Here's another thing, you guys. Every single parent since the history of time is guilty of not my kid. So many mistakes are made because you think your kid is not ever going to try drugs, never going to try sex, never going to be interested in trying drinking. Not my kid. Not my kid. I always know where my kid is. I went to high school with a girl whose mom was the strictest parent ever. No sleepovers, always thought she had her handle on where her kid was. That was the girl who got pregnant in high school. There is a will and a way with teenagers that is crazy. So everybody thinks, not my kid. No, 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 my kid. I have friends of Pascal's who say, not my kid. No, 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 they're 13, 14. They're not even thinking about sex. Wrong answer. I student taught second grade 32 years ago, 32 years ago in Providence, a city, but not a huge city. Yeah. Public school, second grade on the elementary school playground. The kids were talking about sex. They were talking about it wrong. They were talking about in a silly way, but they were talking about it. That was 32 years ago. If you think times have changed, you're wrong. (laughs) So really don't make that mistake. You guys assume it's your kid. Okay. Teenage pregnancies happen because not my kid. Yeah. Kids go and get addicted to drugs because not my kid. We're not watching. We're not watching for the signs. Yeah. Don't save it up. Again, my kid now, he wants to talk about the emotional aspects, the 
emotional landscape of navigating sexual feelings, crushes, boyfriend, girlfriend. How does this all work? He even said to me the other day, he said, I have this crush, but I'm not going to ask her out. He's like, I'm 13. What am I going to ask her out to? What am I going to do? He's like, I don't, I don't need to date right now, which I thought was just like really funny. I was like, okay, cool, man. (laughs) But again, we want to lay the groundwork for them trusting you, trusting you with the hard stuff, trusting you with these conversations, because yes, we do have to talk about consent. We have to talk about good touch, bad touch. We have to talk about it for later years, but we have to talk about it when they're young. Yeah, we have to have these conversations. Now that talking about good touch, bad touch and consent and creepy ass people, this is a huge episode. I'm going to, that's next episode. Okay. We're going to actually dive into that as a whole other episode. So right now I still want to talk about death because that's the other big thing that people ask me. How do I talk to my child about death? A lot of how you handle death lies in your spiritual or religious beliefs, yeah? Most people talk about the deceased as in going to heaven. I personally did that, even though I don't really believe in heaven, because it's a, it's sort of easy. They, You know, where did they go is a very common thing that children ask. The problem is, though, and, and again, I did it when Pascal was younger, but I had since changed my philosophy, and I'll, I'll get into that in a second. We have to remember that heaven and hell are super wonky concepts. They can't see, they can't taste, they can't feel heaven or hell. So it's it's a very uh, vague notion. And I think that is why parents use it, because it is vague. We don't have to get into the specifics. But one of the things that happens when somebody dies close to our children is we lead with fear. And in all honesty, our kids are leading with curiosity. So we have to really dig into that curiosity if we want to answer their questions well and not fear. The thing is, is we fear death. We don't know what happens. We fear being taken too quickly away from our kids, right? Like that can make me cry thinking of my son growing up without me. So we lead with fear, but our kids are leading with curiosity. A couple of things. One Thing. When Pascal was little, I think probably before his first dentist appointment, I got some books on, you know, going to the dentist. And I was so pissed off, man, because every book about going to the dentist led with fear. Like, oh, you don't have to be afraid of going to the dentist. And I was like, well, he wasn't afraid till you just said he should be afraid. Right. So don't do that. Don't lead with fear. I'll give some personal examples because I think this is all just really interesting and funny. And Pascal really taught me so much on how to deal with kids and death. And there are some kids, of course, just like with talk about sexual reproductive organs and stuff, there's some kids who just don't want to hear it. They want to hear an easy answer. They don't want to deal. But if your child is coming with the topic, coming to the topic with curiosity, you want to meet that curiosity and not blow them off. So Pascal was really, really into death early on. And I think what happened is we moved to Rhode Island and I live in very close proximity to my parents. They live below me and their friends are all dying. So I think Pascal was in contact hearing about his meme and Pepe going to funerals and wakes very early on. He got super curious and wanted to go. The kid has had his own funeral suit since he was four. And I always, I don't know if you've seen Harold and Maude, but I was always like, oh my God, I'm raising, (laughs) raising Harold over here. So he would go to any funeral. If you told me your second cousin removed, died, he would want to go to it. He really wanted to go to the wake. He was very interested in the dead body, very interested in life. He called it sparks of life. I I personally believe in a soul 
And he was very interested. We would go to the wake, we would kneel before the body and we would clearly, we would crack up the whole funeral home because there was such a big conversation going on. He always wanted to know if the brains came through the nose, like mummification in ancient Egypt. He wanted to touch the the hands. He he was fascinated with the idea of the body being the shell for the life and how he could really see that the life force was gone. He later got into um, accounts. He would love, I would read him all these accounts of people who technically medically died, you know, went to the white light and were compelled to come back to finish work via God or some spiritual energy. Loved reading about that. So he really, it was all aspects of death. It wasn't just the dead body. Now, that was just when I had first started to homeschool. And of course, I approached death as just a part of life and we would talk about it. But I, it was such an interest that I was like, what? wait a minute, this is stupid. I should make this the focus of homeschooling. And so his, his vocabulary words were, you know, graveyard and cremation. And, and we just read about death. And But very interesting, I would get books about death and every single book geared towards a kid approached it with fear. And he got super aggravated, super aggravated. He was like, mama, it's it's a life cycle. I just want to know more about it. I, I'm not afraid. He said, you know, I learned about a butterfly life cycle in school. Humans have a life cycle. Some humans have a long life cycle and some humans have a short life cycle. Like, why do they think that kids are afraid? Like, he was that vocal about it. And I was like, all right, little man, we should write our own book about death then. He was so interested, like literally we got the best social studies lesson. He spent a weekend looking at cremations on YouTube. He comes to me, he's like, mama, I want to learn more about cremation. Can I see a video? And I was like, dude, people don't video that stuff. And then I thought, and I was like, well, of course they do. It's, it's got to be on YouTube. So he spent a whole weekend, does all, all death rituals. And of course he ends up looking at once he's like, mom, they're not even speaking English anymore. So we go through every country, all their death rituals, all their funeral rituals. It was just, it was such a great social studies lesson. And then mind you, the next weekend he watched water births for like hours on end. He watched one woman's unassisted water birth. It was like nine hours. It was like watching grass grow. He was so funny. <laughs> so life and death, right? But the point is, is he, he taught me how very curious our children are about death and how we tend to brush them off with these really pat things. So grandma's in heaven, grandma's in a better place now. That doesn't make sense to a three or four-year-old, you guys. Grandma's not in a better place. A better place is right here in front of me giving me a lollipop. That's where grandma belongs. And so when we use these really vague phrases, what happens in, is we tend to see more wonky behavior around death. And we also see buried emotions. And I I just don't like that. I just think it's so much better to be super honest and address it with curiosity. You know, grandma's not coming back. Her heart stopped beating. You can go into the very technical. Her breath stopped. If you choose to go into soul and afterlife, you can go into that after you've talked about the mechanics of dying, right? So I think that's what happens is we start getting our children confused or we brush them aside. We brush that curiosity aside. All too often, those phrases don't make sense to them. Remember, they're black and white thinkers at this time. On that note, there is a fantastic episode of Sesame Street worth Googling. It's the episode where Mr. Hooper dies and Big Bird is totally 
not understanding death. And it's such a great episode. I remember seeing this episode years ago. And of course, Big Bird always sort of represents the toddler mind, right? He's very confused. <laughs> he's uh, he does He's very black or white. And so I thought Sesame Street, of course, because they're Sesame Street, they handled this episode so well. So you could look that up if you are experiencing some death and need some help. I think the harder part too is that a lot of times what's happening is our children come into contact with death because somebody really close to us died. And so we are grieving ourselves. And I think that gets really, really hard. It went in a moment of grief to deal with your child's curiosity. It can feel disrespectful. And I don't think it is, but I I understand that it can feel that way. So remember, no matter what the hard thing is, and there are other really hard things. How do we talk to kids about divorce? How do we talk to kids about financial crisis that might be happening in our house? My view is always hit it with honesty. You'll know if you're giving too much information. You know your child, you know where they're at. But most kids, again, will sort of just shut down if you're giving too much information. It will be clear that you're giving too much information. I do think it's important to hit all the hard stuff just in this conversational tone. This is exactly how I have approached it. The same way, honey, please stop playing with your penis at the dinner table. The more you can say it in this conversational tone, the less of a reaction your child will have because again, there's no power behind it, right? I would encourage you to stop thinking in terms of, oh my God, I have to have this talk. Oh my God, this is so hard, right? This beautiful thing called life includes death and sex and and reproducing and birth and all this wonderment, right? This is all just a part of life. The If we weave it into the fabric of life, it doesn't become this separate weird thing, yeah? And we don't need to separate it out from our kids. I see so many people think that there's this magical age where your kid can handle it. And you guys know how I feel about the magical age, right? Like all of a sudden at 13, your child's ready to hear all this information. Dude, that's so overwhelming. Like you can't just sit a 13-year-old down and like download all this shit. They've already been hearing about it, right? So now they now you have to backtrack and 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 it's overwhelming. It's going to be overwhelming for you. It's going to be overwhelming for them and it's going to be embarrassing. But again, I think the most important thing about this is to create a home, a culture of of safety, to not have a culture of shame and secrecy because that's how we keep our children safe. That's how we have the hard dialogues that need to happen later in life. On that note, that is going to be our next episode. I hope you tune in for that because it's um, important and sticky and it was one of the hardest episodes ever to sketch out. So I will see you next time on that. Today, I'm going to log off. As always, rock on. All right, I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, yummy new book presale treats, when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the Oh Crap Potty Training online course, my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified OCRAP consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.